welcome to Inception, uh, where we talk about everything having to do with the beginnings, the beginnings of companies, of careers, of concepts, technologies, science, and maybe a little touch of the future. I'm Mike Edelhart. I'm the managing partner of the Social Starts and Joyance Partners Early Stage uh, Investment Funds. And I've been a creature of the early stage for a long time, love talking about it. And uh, here uh, with me today, Tina Hedges, who's the CEO of Lolly, one of our uh, portfolio companies, brand new portfolio company from our new fund, Joyance. And it's great to uh, see you. I guess I can pretend like we don't get together and talk regularly, but we actually do get together and talk regularly. Uh, but it's great to see you again. Well, Mike, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, so let's get the basics out of the way. So tell um, folks who may not know uh, what Lolly is and why it's the uh, area where you decided to focus your time and attention. So Lolly is um, the world's first zero-waste organic beauty brand. And what that means is we're 100% waterless. Um, we upcycle ingredients from food chain, organic food chain, and we um, remove all the excess packaging and plastic and use certified compostable or reusable packaging. Um, so we make pure and potent products that then you can personalize or we can personalize for you. And why does that matter? And why did I decide to concentrate on that? Um, I come from big beauty. I worked for over a decade and a half at some of the biggest um, industry leaders and woke up one day and realized that the $592 billion beauty industry was lying to the consumer and basically selling them 80 to 95% water. That's what most uh, personal care products are made of. Check in your beauty cabinet and look at the first ingredient on the ingredient list. And then adding lots of toxins and nasties and overpackaging in plastic. And the world doesn't need more plastic. And the world is running out of water. And it just didn't make sense any longer. And I wanted to deconstruct beauty back into superfood organic ingredients and sustainably um, and mindfully made and packaged products. It's obviously it's an idea that makes sense to us. We invested in the company, but you know I'm a guy, and uh, and so am at least sort of one step removed from cosmetics. So in the end, all this stuff sounds great, but women, I have to imagine, buy cosmetics in the end because they want to look good, and not because they want to do good. So where's the making sure they look good? Uh, amidst all that being good. Right. So there's um, there's a misunderstanding out in the universe, I'd say, or definitely in the investment community, because I faced that as I was fundraising, that natural organic skincare is not as efficacious as um, lab-synthesized um, skincare. And that's really not the case. I mean, if you look, and, and Mike, you know this most of all, right? If you look at most um, pharma companies and cutting-edge drugs, most of them are inspired by a natural ingredient, and then they figure out how to synthesize them in the lab and mass-produce it. But um, And look at the buzz just in, no pun intended, but the buzz in CBD oil. And, you know, that came from, I grew up in Jamaica West Indies in the Blue Mountains. You know, our gardener was picking the marijuana and brewing a tea for our neighbor who had um, stomach cancer. You know, we all of this has existed in nature. So we're just harnessing it, and we're going back and deconstructing. You don't need all of that added synthetic 
materials and processes to get the efficacious nature out of nature. So you mentioned, you know, you've got uh, a uh, kind of a storied career in this space. Uh, uh, but coming out of that into doing your own company, female founder, uh, all that, uh, what's it been like? I mean, it's an interesting period of time to be a first-time female founder. I mean, maybe the best of times, the worst of times. Uh, we haven't actually talked about that much. Uh, how has the experience been for you? It's been such a rocky road. Um, real highs and real lows. And I guess that's also part of the startup journey to begin with, right? You wake up and one moment you're like on the top of the world and everything's going fantastic. And next moment you're pulling your hair out and I don't know if I can do this any longer. But when I look at my journey here, I, you know, I started in the corporate world and very few people can make a transition into the startup world. I actually made that transition 12 years ago with my first startup. And um, that was kind of, um, you know, I was so, so naive. I was an idiot savant. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I just said, oh, wow, I see an opportunity. I took it. I built an award-winning hair care brand. I stole two seasons of a reality TV show. Um, yes, I did have some uh, fun moments on that show. But um, I went from there and I got the bug. And I realized I do well in chaos. I do well with lots of moving parts and jigsaw puzzle, trying to figure out how to put them all together. Um, so I never looked back. But what I did was I kept getting involved with other people's startups. And I would come across um, what I call founderitis. And most often, um, great ideas and even good execution can be unwound by this disease I call founderitis, which is the founders start believing their own story and not really recognizing the team effort that went into the success. And so things get unraveled. And I start getting really frustrated with getting an idea to, you know, I helped launch a, a functional beverage that made Entrepreneur Magazine's top 100 most brilliant companies. And it fell apart six to 10 months later because of founderitis. So I started consulting. I really didn't think I would start something again. And it was really a crisis of consciousness that got me to start Lolly. And then I realized how difficult my journey would be. And I kept fighting the universe, to be really honest. I didn't want to start this company, but every time I tried to do something else, the universe would slap my hand and close a door as if it just really wanted me to go in this direction. And I finally gave up and I said, okay, so I'll start an MVP, I'll self-finance, and I'll test it and see if it's worth, you know, really pursuing. And you know what? It caught on. So I was fighting this tooth and nail. I really didn't, you know, I don't need to be in another magazine. I don't need to be on TV. Um, I really want to do the right thing. And in doing the right thing, make money, because that's important for me and my shareholders and stakeholders, but also have an impact. And be a thoughtful and mindful leader. And if I can do that, then I, then I will feel this journey has been worthwhile. So I'm curious, so impact. What's, when you say impact, what's the sort of mental picture you have? What do you envision as the impact you might have or you might have through the company? I, I really want to get to a place where 
the beauty industry changes how they're formulating packaging and marketing products. There is no reason, you know, all the shelf space in Walmart and Dwayne Reed should be shampoo bottles or conditioners or bath and shower gels that are 95% water in plastic that then you're taking into the shower to use more water to rinse off the water that you just purchased. I mean, in what universe does that make sense? Not in this one. That's one thing we believe. We've talked about it, that we think uh, actually water uh, may become one of the uh, one of the precious commodities of the future uh, in a world of uh, global warming. More people, less land, uh, uh, more scarce water uh, may be uh, fundamentals. Did you? Um, I just read and embarrassed to say where it was on the Daily Mail, but um, last night that the um, scientists have discovered that the core of the Earth is actually absorbing three times more water than they anticipated. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> I had this mental picture of like some, you know, antediluvian kegger going on down there or something. It's like uh, the devil's due party. Yeah, I saw that, that water is sinking down into the heart of the earth. I mean, that that really shocked me. I was like, wow, this is going to be much more um, of a crisis earlier than we anticipated. You know, it uh, it... It may well, uh, it may well be, um, and certainly e- even now you can imagine a lot better things to do with water than, as you say, putting it into containers uh, with all that weight. And uh, when you can imagine, and that's one thing we liked about Lolly, just entirely different ways of doing it. Correct, and it just takes a maverick. It takes one person to really stand on that you know, rock and say things have to be different. And it's, it can be slow, it can be um, frustrating, but at some point people start to listen. I'm super proud we just won a Shorty Social Good Award. Yeah, really excited. So um, with that kind of passion, as you built your team, you talked about how important the team experience is to you. What are you looking for? What have you looked for in your team? Fellow believers, folks that... Um, in some way are different than you, they can buttress you, all of the above, and how have you gone about finding them? I think team building and culture is much harder than, um, and to do that successfully is much harder than building revenue. I, I, I really asked myself in the very beginning of, of starting the company and getting funded and, and making my first few hires, I thought a lot about what is, what is the lolly culture? And how do we infuse our day-to-day with that culture? And I've tried to separate myself from Lolly. There's a reason it's not called Tina. You know, Lolly exists apart from me, and it is its own living, breathing entity with its own personality. However, it's obviously, I'm a muse for it. I inspire it. But um, so separating what is Tina's culture Verse and personality versus what's the corporate culture and personality and how do the two mix together and where, you know, where does the leadership in that come from? I'm quite spiritual. I'm a shaman. I pull car, angel cards, you know, is that the culture? You know, sometimes in meetings I will, but that's not the day-to-day culture. So it's, it's a really interesting thing, and I don't know if I have an answer, but I do know that I ask myself every day, how do we build culture? Is this a culture we believe in? 
there's certain principles I will not, um, when I look at a candidate, I will not compromise on. One is moral compass. And it doesn't have to be that, you know, they're living on an iceberg with, you know, uh, no polyester sleeping bag or, you know, I'm not a diehard in any way, but moral compass, um, thoughtful in how they interact with people and um, a willingness to do anything. That is, that's sort of the three qualities I look for because whatever your job is, you're going to be asked to do things that are not part of that job, right? You're a startup. In a startup, for sure. Yeah. You know, what we see at the fund, and uh, I think we've talked about this, uh, and sometimes uh, we get uh, a little bit of cringe response to this, is we say it's a lot about love, that uh, small groups of human beings who love one another and love what they're doing together can essentially accomplish anything. Elite athletes, well, uh, arts, you were in ballet, you know, and, uh, uh, and that's true in startups. Um, and it's true in startups in two respects. One is that it's freeing. So we're watching the Golden State Warriors, the basketball team that appeared invincible because they loved one another. They're having a little spat and suddenly the magic is gone. And the talent's there, they're as talented as they were two weeks ago. Uh, it's that spiritual uh, uh, cohesion that comes from love that made them who they were and probably will be again. We're having more fun than you, and so we're going to outperform you. And the other thing we found in startups that uh, is true about love is that it's freeing, it's releasing. So the fact is we hope the world for Lolly, but most startups don't make it. Most startups don't have the ending they wished uh, for at the beginning. Something intervenes, life is complicated, the world is complicated. But if each day the team came together and they loved one another and they loved what they were doing, that means through the whole arc of the startup, that was your experience. So that's not a loss. And, and recognizing that, the teams tend to relax and actually perform better, and that's what helps uh, uh, lead to uh, uh, greater outcomes, really. I, I, well, it's interesting. Lolly stands for Living Organic Loving Ingredients. I had no idea it was an acronym. <laughs> I should have known that, but I didn't. Which I got divinely inspired over a shot of tequila one night when I was trying to think of a name because, you know, almost every name has been trademarked in the beauty industry. And that name had a lot of um, deep meaning for me. So every single word was chosen purposefully. And, you know, living, everything we do has to be pure and fresh, whether it's ideas, whether it's ingredients, um, whether it's ways we show up, um, organic, organic, obviously, in, in the certification of ingredients, but organic as in inspired and holistic and connected, loving, it's how, how we interact and how we interact with the customer um, with our products and we, we have some Tibetan um, flags in, in our office and one of our interns is Tibetan and before she sends out any product she does a little prayer over it and you know that's really part of our culture I mean obviously that's not completely scalable in, in a sense but that is who we are every interaction makes a difference so every word was sort of purposefully chosen that's, uh, that's pretty interesting well, what do you do about that I mean 
so all this kind of bespoke nature and closeness as it does scale if you um, have the success you hope for any thoughts about how you can maintain that at scale I mean you can't have a hundred people doing Tibetan chants over the production line can you so do you lose it at some point and it just becomes part of the legend or do you think you can actually keep it going long term well I'll tell you a fun anecdote that sort of answers that story and um Bigger and better companies than ours have, you know, struggled with answering that. Um, when one of the big, I was at one of the big beauty brands when they acquired a portfolio company, which I won't mention the name, um, but you'll probably figure it out. And it was a skincare, very high end luxury skincare brand that was based off of a fermentation of a sea algae that um, a physicist, when he had burns, had created and to, to um, help the scarring um, heal. And when he sold the company and he passed away in his documents and the le legal papers with the big beauty company was they had to formulate the product in production the same way he did it himself, which included turning off the lights, putting on the, the sound of ocean waves and letting the algae ferment for like a week or so in the darkness with the sound of waves. And when they when they acquired this and I was in R&D at, the, you know, I was part of marketing but spending a lot of time in R&D, I would hear the PhDs like, how are, what are we gonna do here? How are we gonna do this? Um, I think that, um, you know, obviously some of the small touches are not always scalable, but when there's an intention, you can create purpose around that intention. And that has an effect. So I don't know if I have the full answer yet, but. Uh, the quest is certainly interesting in and of itself. Uh, often we see that startups w don't wind up having the experience they hope they had from uh, the beginning. Uh, so Pinterest wasn't Pinterest at the beginning. It became Pinterest through a, uh, a process of uh, uh, adjustment uh, to uh, what the market was saying and the reality uh, out there. And there have been some really uh, dramatic ones. One of the other portfolio CEOs was talking about how the company went from being about art and collectibles to being about uh, uh, pharmaceutical uh, supply chain. Same company, same technology, completely different market. Uh, what about in this case? So much of Lolly is this very strong concept of purity, organic. And what if it turns out when you get out there that there are very few women who are ready to actually put up money for that? That that it turns out to your shock and dismay that they uh, aren't ready for that much change. Um, uh, can you adjust to that? And how do you imagine you might adjust to that? It's a great question. I think that we have seen the marketplace. I mean, if you just look in the last year, the entry entrance of so many natural, clean brands out there that really aren't that clean or natural, but obviously want to, you know, look like the part, so to speak. Um, I think that there is an appetite from the customer. It would be a question of whether Lolly is too extreme and they still want the pretty packaging maybe they want to feel like the formula is better but they want the shiny fun 
glossy um, appearances of the packaging. Um, you know, that may be an adjustment. We'd have to think about where would we compromise. I don't know. I think that there is, um, that's a very fine line. I think that we have definitely, um, as a company, we have a knowledge base that is incredibly useful and the ability to turn product around very quickly. Do we become a, a white label platform for all the influencers out there that want their own clean beauty brand? That's something we've talked about and we're actually on the side even approaching. So I was on an amazing, the number one beauty podcast on iTunes and the host um, is an advocate for vegan, cruelty-free lifestyle and we talked about doing a bespoke product for her. So there are other ways that we could use our knowledge, our expertise, and, and create for other people. That might be a way to go. I don't really know. I don't have that crystal ball yet. Hopefully we don't have to do, you know, a, a huge pivot. But Yeah, you never know. So what's next? Uh, what's the next uh, milestone? What's the next challenge for Lolly? What's the next challenge for you? So right now we're really concentrating on our pop-up um, experience and testing our customization bar. At, um, we have a, a seven-week pop-up at New York Magazine, the strategist down in right near here at the Soho. Um, and then after that, um, Q1, we'll be looking at do we want to take a small footprint ourselves and keep testing that, you know, offline sort of our version of customization meets a botanica in beauty and then online how we offer full customization to the consumer because right now we're a bit of a hybrid they can purchase our ready-to-use product or they can custom blend themselves but we're customizing for them offline so how do we offer that full experience online got it you know we're seeing a lot uh in the fund of uh, the idea of experience as uh, uh, increasingly uh, present, uh, even uh, ascended. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, uh, you find that the opportunity women have to have kind of a theatrical experience with you and the product may not, uh, who knows, but may not prove uh, uh, pretty uh, powerful. We've, we've actually seen it anecdotally already. Um, so we've been there for to I think this will be our third weekend so I'm custom blending on the weekends during the week our regular product is being sold and pretty much every customer who came up to our counter in a three-hour uh, time period was excited enough to do their $18 custom blended Missler water and um, and then go about 50% went deeper into the brand and purchased some other products so we're seeing that stickiness. They love the, everyone said, why not? Why? That was the first thing out of their mouth. Why not? Like, why wouldn't I get my custom blended cleanser, toner, hydrator? Well, that's, I think, this generation, uh, let's do it together. Uh, you may be the expert, but I know me. Uh, and that, and when you're talking about blending on the weekends, you're talking about you blending on the weekends. I'm blending right? on the weekends, yes. Uh, although some of my team is learning a little bit. And it's really fun because right now um, we're going to change out um, different weekends. We'll blend different things. But right now we're doing the the Missler water, which is like a cleanser toner in one. And um, it's really like going to a mixology bar. I have I even have jiggers like bartenders and I'm blending for you right there as if you're getting your mixed drink. 
it's one of the things we've seen in uh, uh, our uh, uh, CEOs who do the best is uh, a desire to be absolutely present in the early customer uh, experience that you can't hand it off to anyone. All the learning is there. All the feedback is there. If you're not there, as in the founder, the central person uh, in the company, you can't get what you need. I love engaging with the customer. And I'm, you know, we use a platform to help us um, with our customer service online. I read every single one. I answer almost every single one unless it's something very ordinary. Um, I am always talking to the team about personalization is meaningless unless we make every single person that interacts with our brand in any single way, whether it's an investor, whether it's um, an employee, whether it's a partner or it's our customer, feel special. That's ultimately what you're trying to do through personalization is make them feel special. And so that's very, very important to me. Amen to that. I think that's as good uh, a place as any to leave it. Uh, uh, we could do this uh, for hours and upon occasion have. Thank you. Thanks for being here. It's great to uh, have a chance to talk. Well, thanks so much, Mike, and I hope to come back. Mm-hmm.